Okay, uh, welcome everybody to this episode of the uh, Book Marketing Success Podcast. And I'm here with uh, Dr. Rachel Norda, Assistant Professor at Portland State uh, University, I presume in their uh, uh, graduate program in book publishing. And then uh, also Michelle Cobb, who's the Executive Director of PubWest. And they were two of the three people that were responsible for a new study on publishing distribution practices. And my first question is, who came up with the idea to do this study in the first place? I think actually it might have been uh, Angela Bull from IBPA, um, <laughs> who is not with us today, but who is the other driving force behind this. Right. Um, you know, I think book associations are really dealing with a lot since COVID happened. It's very much about supply chain issues and distribution, all of that. So given the opportunity to have those discussions, Angela said, hey, let's get together and do this as a group and use the amazing resource of the Portland State University's publishing research program to help us get some answers and frankly, from my perspective, some fresh ideas. So you used the slave labor of the uh, graduate program. Well, I'd like to think that it was, you know, a one-to-one uh, -one relationship where they had yes. to do a project and they're interested in publishing. So hopefully they got out of it as much as they gave us. Yeah, I'm sure it's they It's always did. more interesting for the students um, and for me uh, in doing research projects when we can work with industry because then you see the impact of the research as well. Um, the students are very familiar with uh, problems in the industry and things that they'd like to see changed as future publishing professionals and right. to have the opportunity to work with IBPA and PubWest to actually do something that could enact some change is very exciting for all of us. And well, I, oh, in my experience as a student, I really liked it whenever the professor would actually let us deal with real world problems rather than some sort of theory. And I'm sure that they, all the students really look forward to doing this because it, it deals with one of the key real world problems in the publishing industry, which is distribution and how to do it best. And there's been so many changes lately that it gets kind of complicated, especially for uh, publishers, mid-level publishers and larger publishers. A lot of smaller publishers are simply, you know, publishing the Kindle or to Ingram Spark and handling distribution that way. Um, so it's one solution, I guess. But what did the study find uh, in terms of distribution, both in terms of the problems and the solutions? So uh, <laughs> IBPA and PubWest uh, came up with some initial questions, things that uh, they knew from their memberships were of interest in these. Right supply chain discussions, these were things that kept coming up, such as minimizing returns, being more eco-friendly, so thinking about carbon neutrality, um, thinking about how some of the supply chain issues have been spotlighted because of COVID, uh, and thinking about things like print on demand um, as, as maybe, you know, a way to think about um, minimizing returns, more effective delivery, you know, all of these sorts of questions. And so although there's things to pull out of the uh, report for 
a publisher at any size, including independent authors. Um, the main target audience that we had in mind was independent publishers. So smaller publishers were, were based in Portland, which is very much a community of smaller publishers or right. um, of Big Five here. And uh, so it, it also makes sense with kind of where we live and operate. Yeah, uh, certainly the return rate has always been a bugaboo among publishers, especially smaller publishers, because, you know, we're dealing with a, a very, you know, limited amount of money and, and, you know, trying to handle cash flow. And then suddenly you get this big return coming in from somewhere and suddenly you're on the downside of something. So did you come up with a solution in terms of how to handle returns and uh, things like that, that in terms of the study? I would say in all areas that they covered, they came up with some suggestions and conclusions. I think each publisher has to evaluate the suggestions based on their workflow and their size. But I was really pleased because there are so many ideas to say, hey, let's try this. And here's what we suggest from a different perspective. Well, it must have been nice to have it the so, solutions and suggestions come from outside of the the people that you know have the you know a, a stake in the game in a sense um, because in a lot of times both sides were sort of fighting with each other because they wanted their value and the other one wanted their value and solution having somebody from the outside look at it and suggest things that might actually work for both sides is probably uh, one of the main values of this report. Oh, definitely. And I would say because publishers and distributors are working day to day to take care of their initial, you know, their their everyday problems, they're not necessarily evaluating the whole ecosystem. Here's the problem I have. How can I solve it? And by working with PSU, we got people to look at more of the entirety of the ecosystem and have conversations with each side so that they could make some suggestions and take it out of the day-to-day, -day, you know, concerns that you're having. Okay. And all of these different research questions are very interconnected. So um, the, the students under my supervision worked in, in teams on different projects, but they also, and as people will find from the report as they read it, um, were, were very connected. So you, you would ask particularly about returns, John. And, um, the, you know, some of the suggestions included better marketing so that there, you know, was less of readers and booksellers uh, buying uh, lots of copies of a book because they thought it was one thing and then turns out, you know, it's it's not because the cover design or the metadata or whatever was a bit misleading. Right. Um, Pre-orders as, uh, you know, something to help um, to just help gauge the demand uh, before the book has even launched, um, you know, thinking more about direct to consumer sales um, and working with print on demand to uh, to try to fill in those gaps. Do you think that uh, print on demand is becoming one of the key solutions to some of the distribution problems? I think or is it, it causing more. No, I, I think it has to be part of the solution because, you know, we are dealing with such, you know, deep supply chain issues. Um, we just did a webinar at PubWest last week where Freezons was talking about the difficulty in getting paper. 
the cost of shipping, you know, a container staying at the port for three weeks. Those are things you can't fully plan for. So having at least a portion of your printing be on demand is kind of key to ensure that you can be responsive to consumer demand. It helps eliminate risk as well, or yes. you know, at least minimize it, um, because then publishers aren't taking on you know such an upfront cost with a, a large print run. Um, but you know, regardless of how they use print on demand, whether it's only print on demand or using it in combination with offset, um, it can just really help because you then already have the sales by the time that you're printing. Yeah, and I, I remember, you know, when I was doing a lot of editions of my thousand and one ways to market your books, every time I went back to press, it was at least $30,000 I was going to have to invest up front before you know you see any money although i always did some sort of pre-sale thing to help cover my costs and a lot of publishers tried to think of different creative ways to get some money in to help pay for the print run and so on but print on demand allows you to respond to what's going on and uh, do so in a way that even you know because a print run you know if you're going to a printer and they're doing ten thousand or something like that that's a six to eight weeks to 12 weeks timeline, whereas print on demand, you can turn around in a week or so. Well, and the, the timeline is extended now, you know, yeah. they were saying to us last week, if you are interested in printing something, you have to be looking at 2023. Ouch. <laughs> so it's a lot of planning ahead, whereas print on demand gives you an option. And also with print on demand, if you're thinking about sustainability, you are not having to worry about having to pulp a lot of books, which I think is really important. I, I, as a publisher and an author, I hate destroying books of any kind. Well, and uh, it's surprising. I, I think for a lot of people, it's surprising how many books are actually just destroyed and not recycled as well. Yeah. One of the things too that came out of the the research project was it's not entirely clear to really anyone in the industry what happens with those pulp books and how much, um, you know, it's kind of the oh these are going to be recycled but exactly how and what and um, so that that piece also you know makes everyone nervous not only destroying books but um, are they actually going to you know be put to good use. Yeah, and, and that's really a concern. I think it's been a concern uh, for a long time that I've been in the industry that publishers hate destroying books. Uh, they certainly, if they have to, they want to recycle it in some way. Uh, so it becomes a real problem. And Michelle, as you said, right now, there's a real major problem with paper shortages. Oh, yeah. uh, some of the magazines I've read have, have you know, changed their paper sourcing different quality of paper and they're still having trouble uh you know staying uh uh with their publishing schedule and that's got to be a challenge you know with book publishers we can sometimes put it off but with magazine publishers you're talking about a, a schedule that people expect you to live up to um so i can see how that can be a real problem i actually talked to a print on demand publisher that uh, uh, last week for one of my clients, and he said, well, 
you know, if you're going to do print on demand with us, it'll be eight weeks. And I'm going, well, that's, wait a minute, print on demand, you know? Wow. Uh, and so I didn't quite understand it, but, uh, you know, I wasn't thinking about the paper shortage. And that's probably one of the major factors that's even affecting print on demand right now. Definitely. So um, I know that one of the questions that, that you actually asked in the study was what shortcomings, shortcomings in the book industry were sort of exposed through the pandemic? Well, paper, <laughs> shipping. I mean, I think if you look at what happened in the, the pandemic and you look at the success of digital publishing, but at the same time, there was a, a growth in print. So there's a demand for the type of work that we are doing, but it's trying to find that balance between what really needs to be printed and how much we as human beings enjoy picking up a book and how much you can absorb and enjoy in the digital format that is much quicker. I do a lot of work in audiobooks. Audiobooks didn't have some of the same supply chain issues because the majority of our publishing prior to the pandemic was digital. Right. But that's okay. You're not seeing much with the CD, right? You don't really gain very much. It's very different with a with a book, especially if it has lovely photos or um, you know charts and graphs. You're trying to find that balance of what's acceptable and what's an enjoyable experience digitally. I still like reading in a comfy chair or in my bed or something like that, and I don't really want a machine with me at the time. Um, my my wife. Uh, is I would say legally blind right now, so she does a lot of audio listening, and uh, so I've watched that sort of transformation because, uh, and thankfully the audio is there because otherwise I'd be having to read to her, and and I do read magazines to her and other articles and so on, but it's a little different than uh, you know a whole book, uh, and and she listens a lot. So I, I, I lost my iPad. <laughs> and so I'm thinking I'm going to have to buy another one just for me. <laughs> because uh, that's the way the easiest way to access Audible, which is where she listens to a lot of uh, the audios that she gets. One question that did you talk much in your in the study about the impact on bookstores in terms of distribution and so on. Yes, they weren't, uh, like I said, uh, independent publishers are the primary audience, but right. um, especially independent bookstores are very interconnected in that ecosystem right. and um, we like to support each other. So this was addressed in talking about cost effective delivery, for example. Um, you know, one of the things I was I was thinking about when you and Michelle just now were were talking about supply chain and what COVID has exposed, uh, just our interdependence out on entities outside of the U.S., which of course were you know hugely disrupted with COVID, was one of the things that was exposed um, during the pandemic. So being able to return to the local to think about local printing and buying and that includes you know supporting local 
um, independent bookstores, uh, and bookstores have been very nimble during this time to do curbside pickup and really um, ramp up their their online presence. We have a, a local yeah. bookstore here in Portland. It's the only Black-owned bookstore in Oregon and um, called Third Eye Books. And, you know, they created an app. They really, you know, leaned into some of those things, but also um, made some great community space, you know, safe with masks and all those uh, but during this time, because they, they knew how important bookstores were. It was one of the things that I missed was uh, the whole bookstore events. Uh, a lot of them got canceled. I was actually surprised how many of the independent bookstores survived the pandemic, given all the uh, restrictions that were going on. But uh, my local bookstore here in Taos uh, survived uh, and is you know prospering again now. Well, I think a lot of the, the bookstores were, as Rachel said, very creative. You know, they got out into the community and set up delivery in a way that worked for them and the consumer to ensure that people could get what they needed, which was entertainment and education. In your study, did you find, uh, do you discuss any of the creative ways that publishers responded to the pandemic? Yes. So as part of the research methodology, methodology, uh, there were interviews and surveys with uh, independent publishers and with bookstores, especially for some of these uh, key issues that touch them both like um, minimizing returns and, and local delivery. Um, so it is really cool to see, you know, what people doing. I mean, with print on demand, we had publishers you know, talking about the types of things, even if they mostly did offset, that they were starting to do more with print on demand, definitely things like um, printing galleys and proof copies and, um, you know, these things that uh, even if they had a really highly illustrated um, book that they were worried about quality with print on demand, even though that gap is, is definitely closing, um, where it made sense, you know, in these particular contexts. And to Michelle's point, a lot of that has moved digital too, um, with, you know, e-galleys and, and, and things being very common, which I hope is something that will continue um, post-pandemic. Did you find that, you know, with the returnability issue, at one point, at least in the, in the last 40 years that I've been observing the industry, it seemed like the bookstores were sometimes more resistant to be, you know, uh, closing out returns, you know, and publishers, publishers had to think of creative ways to encourage uh, bookstores not to return the book and discount it in place or something like that. Um, but there seemed to be the bookstores, I think, to some extent, like the ability to return something that wasn't selling. Um, they, does the report discuss the returnability in terms of those issues, uh, in terms of how to make it easy for everybody to uh, set up some way that's reasonable in terms of returns? Yeah, I mean, the report doesn't offer all of the answers, but it <laughs> starts uh, to think of some solutions. So there's a case study with a bookseller um, and with uh, an independent publisher, both that are located in Portland to, to kind of give some in-depth insight to, you know, the processes and, and um, what people are thinking. I mean, it's hard because 
yeah, from the publisher's view, returns are, are very much helping bookstores, but everybody's in a hard place. And honestly, everyone is <laughs> competing against Amazon. And so it's, um, it's trying to find solutions and balance that can help all of us survive um, rather than, you know, I, I don't think it's very helpful necessarily to, um, to start an argument between independent publishers and, and bookstores. And we have to look at things like, you know, what Barnes Noble is doing now, which is more local ordering. So it's, you know, buying more towards what a store needs will help prevent returns ultimately. And it's solutions like that. We're not going to solve, you know, the whole returns issue, but finding ways to prevent returns is a very important piece of the puzzle. And that starts with the pre-orders, Frank, frankly. Yeah. So I just a minute. <laughs> I forgot to turn off my phone and unplug it. <laughs> so um, I know that at one point uh, the returnability issue for small publishers, a lot of small publishers wanted to go to towards non-returnable, but the big publishers kept pushing it because they were pushing books out and they wanted to get as many books into the stores as possible. And that's one reason that returnability became in, you know, one of the mechanisms for promoting books. Uh, do you discuss that at all in terms of how changing returnability would impact the ability to push books out? So one of the, um, publishers that was interviewed is microcosm here in Portland. They do some great things. They also distribute other people's books, but they've been a very successful kind of small to medium sized publishers, publisher of um, uh, a lot of nonfiction, a lot of zines, um, a, a very Portland feel kind of from the punk rock era, but they have sold a lot of their books and other people's books to um, bookstores, but also to other um, specialty uh, places. And in terms of, you know, I think that's a good strategy for diversification uh, because um, a lot of places outside of book publishing, uh, so, you know, you're selling your books at a candy shop as they do or a record store, um, then they take things non-returnable. So, um, you know, when you're, when you're, using that with also, um, you know, uh, working on, on some of the things Michelle was saying to, um, for bookstores to, to buy more of the local interest, the things that um, their community is interested in, um, when publishers are really pushing that marketing and doing pre-orders, then the combination of that can, um, can help. Yeah, but you know, I'm sure with the booksellers, there's uh, certainly uh, a desire, you know, they want to carry the big books that are going to be selling, but they also don't want to be exposed to the risk of having too many copies of something like that, but their local community still might want to buy it. Do you, did you, your students have any suggestions in terms of how to solve something like that, that sort of balance between having enough copies to serve the demand and yet not get, you know, have some way to handle what might be a, an overbuy. Other than a magic eight ball, I don't think we have the... Uh... <laughs> it's a hard question. It really is. Um, 
so there's you know some of the strategies we've already talked about but um no no magic eight ball okay what what uh what solutions did your students come up with that might really impact especially say smaller publishers yeah so in thinking about smaller publishers and indie authors um some of the the things that came out of the report are um the power of collective organizations trade organizations like PubWest, IBPA, um, ABA, because um, there's more bargaining power when you're as a collective or to be able to create processes and things that can be for all of you rather than you as your you know individual little small publisher trying right. to to change things. Um, so that's that's one thing. Um, you know, in thinking about being more eco-friendly, starting with paper is a, a good way to think. And in, in some ways, I don't want to say that the supply chain issues are an opportunity, but I'm going to say that. Um, <laughs> there, This might be a chance for everyone to reconsider the kinds of paper, you know, that they're, um, that they're using and, and getting. Some already have chosen alternative papers because there's no other option. <laughs> if they want to publish by said date, then they, they have to. And really having better access to um, the best papers, the most eco-friendly ones, just requires that there's um, a lot of people doing it, that the the mass is what, what helps, um, because then printers will see the demand and it helps uh, make that paper cheaper too. Right, if, if you can get the printers involved, then right. they make the choice to, you know, you know have more eco-friendly uh, papers available. I know publishers, even like 20 years ago, we're demanding that there be more eco-friendly uh, recycled content, uh, things like that within the paper that they were buying. And publish, uh, printers started to implement that and stock more, but probably the paper shortage right now is making that more of a challenge. Yes, I, I do think, it, you know, as we also look at paper shortages, we're also looking at shipping costs, right? So, you know, the the report talks about using less heavy paper, things like that, which are coming out of the pandemic, can potentially become something that a consumer is comfortable with, and long term can help the industry and help, you know, the environment as well. And reducing word count in that same, you know, vein of weight, um, the, at the publishing program here at PSU, um, all of the students and faculty run a publishing uh, company together that's part of PubWest. It's called Ooligan Press. And, okay. uh, and one of the things in all of the supply chain issues that, that Ooligan is doing is, um, you know, across the board for new acquisitions, reducing word count um, because it's otherwise too expensive. It's too expensive to keep um, making books and shipping books um, at the size that we have been. Well, there's certainly been a trend uh, over the last 10 or 20 years of uh, shorter books, uh, both because the readers don't have as much time, but also it makes it a little bit less expensive to publish the book in the first place if, you know, you've got 20 less pages or something like that. Right. And then pricing is going to become an issue. You know, I went to the grocery store for the first time in a few weeks this weekend and was like, oh, my, everything has gotten significantly more expensive. I ordered lunch from the same place that I always order lunch from. 
that was more expensive. And what we haven't seen a lot of yet is, you know, books doubling in price. We know the cost of printing and shipping them is doubling, but the book price isn't doubling. So, you know, we're going to have to look at that as an industry and respond to consumer demands, but also to the rising costs of what our costs are. And, and we've always gotten a little bit squeezed in, in terms of, of that. Bookstores always telling publishers, get the price down because everybody they talk to, they want cheaper books. But the publishers going, but we we got to make money. <laughs> we can't lower it as much as maybe you want us to. And we have to charge more in order to survive ourselves. Well, so if you look at what that kind of balance. Yeah, and if you look at what cookies do, right? So you get the same pack of cookies, it costs the same, it's a little smaller. So you're maybe the books are a little smaller, but the the price hasn't changed. I think these are all things that are on the table as we move forward in a world that has been profoundly changed by the last two and a half years. Publishing profit margins are already so small. Um, so there's really no nowhere left to squeeze. But at some point, you have to find a way to squeeze. And one way that you're talking about is, uh, you know, think about shorter books, uh, do a tighter edit, things like that, which probably won't make your authors happy, but uh, may make your ultimate consumer, the readers, happy. Um, although, you know, if, if I'm reading, let's say, a fantasy book and it's a thousand pages, I don't want it to end. <laughs> That's true. But if you are a fantasy author and you can sell an additional 2,000 copies because you cut out 100 pages, you know, maybe there's a balance place in there that makes everyone uh, happy. Or make yeah. it into a series where, you know, that part you were going to put in the first book becomes the second book. And so each book is making a better profit margin, but your readers still are able to immerse as much in the world as they want. Yeah, and that that's always a balance there in terms of how we handle those things, both as a publisher, as an author, bookstore, uh, all the way along the line. Have you, uh, what did you, uh, within the distribution industry itself, did you find anything that your students talked about in terms of uh, solutions for the, you know, that middleman there in, in between the uh, publisher and the bookstore? For distributors specifically, they weren't a group that, um, that we gathered data from. Okay. And it's, I mean, it's a very monopolized space. Uh, you know, Ingram is the king in that, in that space, um, for good or bad. Uh, I, I've been to a couple of their recent webinars talking about, you know, eco-friendly and supply chain. They're definitely trying to be more transparent with their, uh, their publishers. Uligan Press is distributed by Ingram. So, um, yeah, that's all to say they, they, they weren't as much the focus. But they would certainly have a key role in, in the, whatever changes do occur uh, brought about by the bookstores or the publishers. I yeah, I think it's thinking about that holistic view, as Michelle has said earlier, that um, all of these pieces and all of the players are very interconnected. So we definitely can't 
can't talk about one without it impacting another. Yeah. So I'm going to share a link to uh, for people to be able to download the entire report and read it for themselves. And uh, is there a way for them to interact with um, either of you or Angela in terms of perhaps giving some feedback once they've read it, uh, something like that? Is, is there a mechanism in place? Well, certainly you can email me at executivedirector at pubwest.org. Okay. We also will be doing a webinar with PubWest and IBPA in June, June 22nd, I believe. Okay. Um, so, you know, if people, that will have an active Q&A session. So if people have specific questions that they want to ask us there, um, we'll be happy to do that. Okay, great. Is there a sign-up link now for that? Yes, there is. Okay. Uh, can you put it in the chat? I can do that. And then I can uh, add it to the uh, uh, the podcast page. Fantastic. Uh, I would love to encourage people to you know to join in on that uh, webinar, and uh, you know become. Let's see if I can copy that. There we go. Okay, so I will put that into place. Uh, that's great. Uh, that will give uh, people a, a chance to interact. Uh, Rachel, did you want people to email you at all, or do you want to just sure. do it through the webinar? Yeah, people can find me on um, LinkedIn and Twitter as well. Okay. Um, but here's my PSU email on Twitter. I'm Rachel okay. and then just Rachel Norda on LinkedIn. Okay. Okay, great. Uh, any last uh, statement that you want to make? Anything? I'd just like to say thank you to, you know, Rachel and the students for making this a really fun experience. It was great to get their perspective, but also it was, you know, it's fun, I would say personally for me, I'm on the East Coast and I would attend these late night classes and they always kept me very engaged, which I appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, you can't be on the East Coast, you're Pub West. Well, you know what? Pub West has <laughs> members all over the country, and uh, I happen to be based in Rhode Island. You know, that's okay. the beauty of the virtual world. You yeah. don't know where I am, nor does it matter. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and that's certainly true. It's been true for publishers and authors for a long time. Um, I just, I was surprised, so <laughs> I guess I read Pub West. I, I know that in the past, uh, the directors were often in California or something like that. But well, yes, we actually are, um, you know, we, it's a team. So we do have someone in California and someone in New York and someone in Rhode Island. So that's what's nice. We, we can spread the wealth throughout the country and be available at uh, a wide variety of hours. So. Well, for a long time, uh, IBPA was uh, almost a West Coast organization until it uh, went national and, and started to, you know, get further out there. And uh, Rachel, I presume your uh, publishing program has students from all over, probably all over the world. Yeah, um, over half of our students come from um, outside of Oregon and we have some international students right now from Spain and Chile and, um, We've had ones from India and China before. So yeah, it's it's a rich um, 
community and they bring a lot of energy to the program. Okay. So again, the, the uh, webinar is on June 22nd. 22nd. Okay. So and it's at uh, 11 a.m. Pacific time, 2 p.m. Eastern time. Okay. Great. Uh, so thank you um, for uh, joining me. I, I really appreciate that both of you were able to make the time to, to join me in this podcast. Uh, it will be distributed to a lot of different places. So hopefully we'll get the word out for you. Thanks so much. Thanks, Thanks a lot. All right. So I started.